Welcome to episode three of Deep Natter. My name is Jeffrey Sidoris, and in just a moment, I'll be joined by Sean Tucker. And in this episode, we're talking about perfection. They say that practice makes perfect, but I think as makers, deep down, most of us know that perfect really doesn't exist. Good? Sure. Great? Yeah, maybe occasionally. But perfect? Not in my experience. So why do we keep chasing it? Well, that's exactly what Sean and I are going to talk about. And it all starts with a quote by one of Sean's favorite authors, Richard Rohr. Here we go. I share with you a little, um, a little. well, it was, it was kind of two quotes I came across recently. And they weren't written. They were just because I was listening to a particular podcast. And uh, for those of you who play the Richard Rohr drinking game, you have to start early because the first one is from him. <laughs> It's like, so should I just read the quote? Yes, please. We can take it from there. So this is what he says. He says, it's actually egotistical to give ourselves a hard time for not being perfect because it assumes we are somehow better than others and we can reasonably assume we will never make a mistake. You're human. Which I, I needed to hear at the time because, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, um, a recovering perfectionist. And... Uh, I think like I think there's a I think the reason it hit me is because um, there's a part of me that thinks it's a it's a or, or is slightly proud of being a perfectionist I think mm-hmm. or that it's a good thing to be because it means I care about my work or or it's it's a sign of somebody who 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 does great work as a perfectionist because I really care about the details etc cetera, etc cetera. but this was really good because it also I also know that being a perfectionist is is really detrimental to me and it's bad and it kind of I, I'm somebody I think who's driven by right and wrong and I like to put things in neat boxes of this is right that's wrong for myself quite a lot and it helped me to hear actually you could look at it and say that being a perfectionist is egotistical because it's grounded in this idea that it's possible for me not to make a mistake. Which was kind of Well, that's the trick, isn't it? That's the trick is, is there, especially in art, there is no perfect. Yeah. So I, I, I get the, the term perfectionist and I think that, you know, I've been called that and I, I think I have thought of myself that way in, in before, but I don't know how to square that with knowing that there's no perfect in art. And in fact, it's the imperfections often that make art better. Yeah. Unplanned imperfections. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, what did, what did Orson Welles call it? Cause I sent you this movie that you'd already seen. Yeah. 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 Um, what did he call them? Divine accidents. Oh, did he? In the, in the, there's, there's a movie about Orson Welles did this last film. Uh, and the wind, what was it? Other the other side, side of, the, of wind. the wind. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, I don't think it was ever released at the time. It's, it's now yeah. available and has been released. Um, but the, uh, there's a documentary on Netflix about the making of this movie called they'll love me when I'm dead. Mm-hmm. And a years long process of making this film and casting changes and, and shooting scenes years apart and, and using doubles and stand-ins to try and bring continuity to it. And it was this, it became Wells White Whale. And, and what I found interesting 
is that on the outside, everybody pointed, not everybody, but the industry pointed to Citizen Kane as, mm -hmm. and has still, points to Citizen Kane as the greatest film. It's a perfect film. They're, they're, they have used that term, perfect film, to describe Citizen Kane. But Wells never thought of it that way. And I think he was on, was he on Dick Cavett? I forget what talk show he was on, but somebody asked him what his, what his greatest movie was. Was it Citizen Kane? And he said, no, it's the next one I'm going to make. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I found it really interesting that this guy who, who was already considered, you know, based solely on Citizen Kane, and he hated, he hated all of the accolades that Citizen yeah. Kane got because everything became compared to that, right? And he was only, what was he, 27 when he did it? 25, I think. I think he was 25 because, that's right, he was 25 because Peter Bogdanovich was, was, sort of upset with himself that he hadn't directed a film. It took him until 27 to do Paris, Texas. Mm. Wasn't it Paris, Texas? No, it was uh, The Last Picture Show. So it's interesting, this idea of, of perfection on the outside and perfection, like internal perfection and external perfection, neither one of which are real, but we tend to get hung up on one or the other or sometimes both, I guess. Yeah, I mean, one of the other uh, quotes they had in this particular episode, this podcast episode was from Rumdas, and it said, you should expect adorable mistakes, which I thought was a really nice turn of phrase. Yeah. Because it's, it's like accepting that whatever I make um, will probably be better for the mistakes in the long run um, if I accept them. And a way to accept them might be to do something like that, to call them adorable mistakes instead of, because I think there's a, there's a, I don't want to assume everybody's like this, but I know my personality, I give myself a really hard time for mistakes. Yes. Um, it, and emotionally, I give myself a hard time. Um, I, I get angry at myself for messing up. If I, if I put a video out on YouTube or something and I can see 10 mistakes in it, which I can always see 10 mistakes in it, things I should have done better or should have spent more time on or should have thought about better than I did. Um, I can, I, that's all I can see when I watch that stuff, which ruins until I get some distance from it. But like initially that's all I can see. And, and I do give myself a hard time for that. I, I, I go to bed feeling bad after posting that video, which is most videos because I'm, I'm like, e I, I, even though most of it, I've said what I wanted to say or, or done what I wanted to do. It's, it's the mistakes that I hang on to. And, and right. that, I think, is what people think of when they think of perfectionists. Oh, he's just never happy with his work. It's got to be perfect. But who am I helping with that? I don't think my work's getting better because I do that to myself. And I don't think... But then why do you keep doing it? Well, it, because it's not a choice. Because yeah. it, it happens before I, before I realize it. But then the way to trick myself into, into stop doing that, because I think part of it is thinking, well, being a perfectionist is kind of a good thing is to tell myself, actually, it's a bad thing. And it says something bad about me is, 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 is how to motivate somebody like me to change that about myself is to go, actually, you think being a perfectionist makes you a better artist. Actually, what it does is it proves you're egotistical enough to think that you shouldn't make mistakes, that you're somehow better than everybody else who you would be much kinder to when they make mistakes like who do you think you actually are that, that mm. you, 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 when you see, when, when, when Jeffrey says, Hey, you know, uh, I, I put out a podcast this week, but you know, I just felt like the interview didn't go as well as I would have liked. It didn't really flow as well. And I listened to it going, Oh my gosh, man, you're being so hard on yourself. I thought it was great. 
because I'm being kind on your mistakes, maybe, or maybe I don't even see them. And yet I won't give myself that same kindness. And there's an, there's a, an egotism in that, I think, that I secretly think, do I really secretly think I'm better than everybody else, that I'm not going to give myself the same kindness when I make mistakes in my work and keep moving? Does mm. that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, is it, is it the term itself? Because I think the, the, the act of wanting the thing that you make to be the best that it can be, the best that you can make it, okay. is absolutely noble. And it's, it's absolutely, I, I think it's healthy. Yeah. Where it falls down is in exactly where you're talking about, is, is thinking that we can make something that we pour ourselves into and there will be nothing out of place. Yeah, it's almost like you could, it, there's a difference between, if, we, if what we call perfectionism is, I just want to do the very best job I can do, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good mm. thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's when it's on the back end of it that it becomes poisonous in that once it's out of our hands or out of our control or we're asking ourselves to do things that just aren't possible and berating ourselves or beating ourselves up, especially after we've released it into the world. Well, now what is it? Because now it's not helping us make that piece better. It's just giving ourselves an emotionally hard time for it not being perfect, which is useless to everybody, especially our own motivation. Right. You know, because I mean, what does that accomplish other than going, well, I mean, how many times have you or I sat with anything that we've made and gone, well, that last thing I made wasn't brilliant. Maybe I'll just can it. Uh, That's where that quickly 20, leads to. 20 minutes ago when I was <laughs> uploading something. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew talking to you, you don't struggle with this. You're really going yeah, yeah, yeah. to relate to this. <laughs> but ha has it gotten the best of you in, ter in terms of, ha have, you, have you had situations where you couldn't get past noticing what you thought were imperfections and you took the thing down, whether it was a photo or a video or, or whatever, you removed it from public view so that you could tinker with it a little more and then put it back. Or have you just, once it's out, is it out and you just have to deal with the, the sort of aftermath of that? Uh, I don't, I can't remember a time where I've done that. I, I feel like, you know, you know what it probably is, if I'm being really, really honest, is I would rather have a piece of work out there that I can see the mistakes and own them if someone criticizes me for it, than put something out in the world and have people see me second guessing my work enough to remove it. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. So, like, I no, it does. It I, does. I, I I feel like, and and again, like this is just this is just brutal honesty. This is like me trying to manage how people see me. I would rather be seen as someone who makes mistakes and knows about them, than than then makes decisions to release something and then chickens out and pulls it back. So it's, it's more like a calculated thing that I haven't pulled that work back than like, I, because I, I, I wanted to often. I think there have often been times I've wanted to, but no, I can't remember a time I've ever actually done that. There might've been times where I've taken, there are times where I've taken portraits, especially early on where when I hadn't really got a handle on my editing process, and I mean like Photoshop editing process in terms of retouching, that I was too heavy handed with it, that I've definitely gone back to later and, and, and edited versions of those portraits that are not as heavy handed and then, and then replaced images on websites or something like that because it right. represents 
the level I retouch to now, which is obviously far lighter touch than it used to be. So I have done stuff like that, but no, I haven't, I've never done something current. Like I've released something, got a bad reaction for it and straight away pulled it down. I've never done that. Not even based on a bad reaction though, maybe just something that, that you noticed. And, and I'm going to complicate this a little more for you. If YouTube added a new feature <laughs> to allow you to yeah. silently replace a film without losing stats without losing its place you could just silently replace it would you still hold that line or would you be tempted because then only potentially only you would know it's been replaced no i think i think by the time i put something out like that i think i know it's the best i can do with it where i'm at so it's and and i never go back to films i delete all my footage even so i can't come back to it much really you delete all your all of your source footage the only the only source footage i keep like all this stuff with me talking i delete um, which is a lot of it, unfortunately, especially in the last year. Um, like the only stuff I actually keep is the B-roll I shoot. Mm, so mm-hmm. if, if like, for example, the last video I did with Simon Baxter out in the woods, um, like I, I, I delete all the footage of me talking for the intro outro. I delete all the footage of him in the interview. The only stuff I keep is him in Woodland, like walking around that B-roll is the only stuff I keep. And I do wow. that for every film because... I feel like that footage might be useful later if I'm trying to create something visually rich, but I don't, I don't keep reams of, of, uh, of. That's really fascinating. So you could, you could never go back and do a director's cut or you couldn't go back and do a compilation and pull anywhere from, from other than something that's been released. Yeah. The only thing I have is the final files for each video is like that final output file. Other That's than, impressive. Other than B-roll, I think I might I might use later. Wow. Yeah. I, I I will I'll be honest with you. I've I've replaced a couple of shows that I've caught something really? that just have you? I can't. Oh yeah, that I just can't let go of. And and it's again, it's it's usually like uh, something that breaks that have that you breaks got, something for me. Have you got a specific example you're willing to share? No. <laughs> no that's, that's why i replaced it absolutely that's, that's right no. that's interesting uh, though yeah or it's something actually there was one um and i don't even remember who it was but when i, I i'm doing a different type of editing a, a different method of editing these shows and when i started doing when i when i changed to this new mode of editing it involves macros and and some copy and paste of of um edited segments to kind of a new timeline and i accidentally pasted in one section twice so this this one section of dialogue about i don't know 18 seconds i think it was of dialogue repeated twice and Uh somebody caught it and i was i was mortified because i didn't catch it Uh uh-huh and somebody said hey uh you, you've got this section that that's repeating and i went oh my god so i i went in and fixed it and, re, and re-uploaded it oh no i mean i i do that i, I think i do that as well and it is hard I, and i'd imagine there's a lot of similarity in editing a podcast and editing a video in that you get too close to the material and it's also a long span of time just to listen through one of your episodes is 45 minutes just to listen start to finish let alone you know what you have to do is you know go in and listen to sections and chop them up and move around and listen to time and time again takes hours yeah it's very easy for something like that to sort of slip through the cracks i guess yeah and i listen to everything in real time i don't i don't listen to it 
in, you know, time and a half or a double speed or anything. When I'm, when I do the initial edit and I make notes on the conversation, I'm listening through it in real time. Sometimes I've even, I'm even backing up and, and repeating things so I can get a quote right or an idea right, right. And, and, and make notes of where I want to go. I don't typically move things around. Um, right. In fact, I think there have only been maybe one or two that I've changed the order of something because uh, an answer or, or a bit of a conversation kind of later on in the conversation it felt like an addendum to something that was, that happened previous that happened yeah. in the, earlier on in the conversation. So I moved, you know, but that's, it's only happened one or two times, right. but I still angst over, you know, are my levels right relative to yours are, you know, is there, is there, you know, did I get the EQ right? Did I get, because all of this stuff changes. It, it should be constant, but it's not. I mean, if I'm, if I'm right here on my mic, I sound one way, but if I'm, kind of off axis over here, I sound another way and I've got to compensate for that or I punch in and replace something because I want this to be seamless for a listener. I, I, I kind of look at bad audio in the, in the same way that I look at either really good or really bad special effects, because I think in either case, they can take you out of the story. Yeah. Right. If you, if you're watching a film and you go, Oh my God, that, oh, that, that was amazing. Yeah. Well, you're out of the narrative. Yeah. You know, an example of who doesn't typically do that is Fincher. And, and you and I have talked about him quite Absolutely, a bit. Absolutely, yeah. David Fincher's stuff is seamless because he wants to keep you very tightly into the narrative. And I always strive for that in the conversations. I don't want to lose you. I don't want you to feel like, like something has changed and now you're out and you notice it. And a lot of that comes down to, you know, mic technique and, you know, channel strips and, and all that kind of thing. I mean, you, you, you know this all too well in, in terms of how you, you do, you know, talk to camera things. You want to get that thing consistent. You want, you want yeah. that, you want to, to allow the user to experience it as, as a, a seamless thread. And, yeah. and so we, ch we chase that and, you know, is it healthy? Mm, I don't know. But, okay. So what is it for you then? Because I mean, your, your audio for me is second to none, especially in the podcasting world. It's like, it's top, top quality. And, and I can't ever hear those mistakes. So your, your desire to obviously put out the very best quality audio you can has, has paid off um, hugely. I mean, it's, it's, al it's already there, but the quality's baked in. So if, if your average user is taking that and going, wow, this is really top notch, like, what is it for you? What's that giving yourself a hard time for in your case? It's, I think it can always be better. You know, it's, it's no different than a, than a photographer or a painter or a writer or anybody. I, I just, I just, I think it can always be better. You know, you said something at the very beginning of, of, you know, you see little mistakes or little, I wouldn't even call them mistakes, little things that just aren't the way you really want them on that 4,000th viewing. <laughs> and, and I, I'm the same way with, with listening. They're just things that, that maybe don't work the way I wanted them to. And, and I, 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 it's weird. I don't, I don't chase perfection in the painted work in, in my, my painting, because I know so much of it is based on accidents and I know enough now to know that my process is such that even though I go to painstaking efforts to previs a lot of my paintings digitally, 
because I have to print things out if I'm doing emulsion transfers or if I'm doing, you know, collage elements, those elements have to be a certain size or they don't work the way I want them to work. So I have to, I have to sort of previs everything and then create the elements that I'm going to use. But even then, there has not been a single painting that I've done that's turned out exactly like the previs, not one. I mean, this is where I wanted to go because I think I think your paintings are like the perfect example of somebody who has very high standards for themselves, mm-hmm. um, and and is is definitely a perfectionist, probably in the good and the bad sense. In that you, it helps you make good work, but you also struggle with how you beat yourself up about stuff. But yet, when you paint specifically, and for those who don't know, um, go check out Jeffrey's website. Jeffrey paint I mean I'm 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 going to ham-fistedly describe it but like it's it's very kind of rich saturated colors mixed media so you're looking at you're looking at like found objects from sort of memorabilia and ephemera in 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 vintage magazines but you're also looking at paint over the top and then you're looking at texture um in terms of like the surface is is three-dimensional and sort of catches light in really interesting ways the subject matter is very interesting you've got this kind of love of of sort of, I would say, what are we talking? Probably fifties propaganda um, mm-hmm, and sort mm-hmm. of that kind of era. So you've got this aesthetic running through your work, and yet when you look at it, it feels chaotic in a very controlled way. So how do you, as a perfectionist working like that, create a chaotic space you can allow yourself to create in? Well, um, it's been an evolution. I mean, I I, I wanted to be. David Carson, you know, that was when I, when I, there, there's a, a, a trio of graphic designers that I was introduced to at the same time, David Carson, Vaughn Oliver, and Chris Big, um, and Chris Ashworth, actually. So there were four. And it was a completely different type of graphic design that sort of stepped away from the grid system that I fell in love with from people like um, Joseph Mueller Brockman. And I still, if you, if you look at most of the things that I paint, there's a grid still there because I, I have to have order. I have to affix the chaos to some sort of order. Right. Whereas somebody like Carson is very free form and, you know, has said in many interviews because he, he kind of gets asked this question all the time is, you know, did you break the rule? And he's like, I didn't, I didn't know any of the rules. So there were no rules to break. I didn't learn that way. You know, he was a surfer. He was ranked like number seven in the world at the time. And he, and he decided oh, to be a graphic designer. Oh yeah. He still no surfs. He, he bought his house in the Caribbean. Oh, about his house. Yeah. <laughs> based on the point break. I mean, he'd, he'd never even been inside. He saw where it sat on the, on the coastline and, and went, yeah, I'll have that. It's got <laughs> you know? sweet sets, bro. <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> he's like you know kind of the way you bought your sony's it's like does it have what i want it to have and yeah. and it, yeah. it did so he bought it i'll touch it um, later i'll talk i'll talk myself out of it if i hold it now because it'll feel yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly so you know i i wanted to be in that group of of very freeform expressive you know and the painters that i admired at the time well and still do helen frankenthaler and and willem de kooning you know, these, these abstract expressionists, these action painters, as they were called, you know, doing big, broad, you know, uninhibited strokes was so far removed from what I did. Well, and still do, frankly. 
but this is the best I can do. This is, this is the most chaotic I can be while still adhering to some sort of order because I find comfort in the order. Yeah. But you, you, know? you are a million miles down the road from me because I, I don't have an equivalent in anything that I make. I, I think I'm still, I've still got a lot of growing to do with that. And I'm still very, very bound to every, every form because I'm too scared to step outside of it. And try something mm, I, I'm, I'm going to respectfully disagree with you on oh, that. I, like I think that <laughs> <laughs> I think the book is a departure from not only what you've done, but what is expected of you to do. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, may, maybe in terms of content, but I think in terms of like form, I was like, check everything I've done here. Cause I'm very insecure that I, that, that maybe I'm not a good writer. Maybe I think I am. Maybe, you know, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm making huge mistakes that I can't see. I, I, I was, I felt like a baby in that space trying to sort of work out what I was doing and, and was very much sticking to how, how do you structure a sentence? How do you tell a story on a page? All those kind of things. Um, may, maybe in terms of the content. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, but I, I feel that fear like of, of, of am I doing it right? Do you know what I mean? Am I, am I, no, am I, I, I don't know what you mean because you, you come across very confident in not only oh, your yes, ability. That's, that's different. Come, yeah, I fake it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, there, there, I'm not, I'm not even overplaying that. I think, I think there is like uh, some stuff I do know what I'm doing and, and, and I know what I want to do, but there is still a really fearful part of me that worries I'm, I, I'm doing it wrong. And that like, like everybody, I mean, I'm sure everybody has this, I'm not suggesting I'm special, but like everyone has this, like, am I doing, am, am I trying to be brave or doing this so wrong that they're laughing at me? Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, am I, are they secretly going, oh gosh, he thinks he's, he thinks he's doing something so cool, but everyone knows that's not how you do it. And it's embarrassing. Do you know what I mean? We all have that fear. I do. I, okay. But I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you for just for a second. So how do you reconcile then the growth of the audience around what you do? There, there is a, there is a hunger for not only what you do, but the, the way you speak about it. And that's reflected in and I know we, we, I know we, we, we can say it's not real and it's, it's an illusion. And, and, you know, when we, when we talk about sort of social media numbers and followers and subscribers and all that kind of thing, but there is a resonance to what you do. And you've, you've, you've shifted gears a couple of times. You've made some right and left turns and changed the, the form of the content that you do. And I think you, you've gotten better for it. And I think that, that it's drawn an audience closer to you for it. At least that's the, that's, if I'm looking at it externally, that's what I see. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's really messy because it's, it's hard. Hmm. There's definitely a lot of that. Um, and do you example, feel that? I mean, do you, yeah, do you do, really do. feel Everything it? Everything you said. Yeah, I absolutely yeah. do. But, but I'm almost, I mean, coming out of the church, like I, I did stuff very differently from other people in the church. And I got fired for it a couple of times. Like there was no way I was going to last in that context. And, and I think there was, it's the first time I've said this actually, but I'm just thinking about it now. I think there was, there was this real mix when I left the church of going, that's exactly what I should have done. 
I, I should have spoken about that stuff that way and I back myself for doing that. And at the same time, I equally felt I just got rejected by an entire institution. I lost my mm. community. I lost friends. I lost my job. And how could so many people be wrong and I'm right? Mm. Okay. Without, without me being some weird messianic egotist who, who just ignores the cues he's getting from the rest of the world. There's a real fear about pushing the boat out you know, as, as you know, and, and, and backing yourself enough. So I, I'm almost coming back to that place now in that, in that I've moved into a new world now. I'm in the photography world, broadly speaking. And I'm talking about things that I think are important, which are actually the same things I used to talk about before is the truth. Mm -hmm. But I've just found a new place to talk about them. And I'm pushing the boat out again, especially with this book. And I think even though, even though like I back myself and I, I believe in what I'm saying and I, and I believe in the way that I'm saying it, there's always still that fear that my community is going to turn around and go, nah, you're, you're, you're way off. Yeah, you need but to based on what? The, my, my, my real world past, my story. Yeah. That's okay. where it comes from is this real fear because it happened. And, and, mm -hmm. and I, I think I've downplayed it in the past how traumatic that was. Right. You know, because it was. I mean, you have to imagine that um, because there's no separation between between your job and your friends and your your life, your entire life. So so everything at once got taken away. Um, you know, the, the the people I cared about who said cared about me, the the way that I paid my bills and my financial security, my whole belief system, everything at once, all those things were taken away overnight. And, and people who, who I knew and I knew cared about me turned their backs and went, we can't go there with you because, because it's too risky for us. We don't, wanna, we don't want to have happened to us what just happened to you. And they made choices. And that was really tough to go through. I mm -hmm. mean, that took, that took years to come back from. And I, I think that even though this time it's different because now whatever I'm doing, I'm doing on my own terms. I'm not doing, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not, I can't be rejected by myself and, and I'm running this on my own terms. So there is, there is that, but there's always that fear. Like, am, am I wrong? And I don't think I am. I, otherwise I wouldn't be doing it. But, but even if I'm not, it can cost you. Did you feel then at least understood by the people who, I mean, they necessarily had to turn their back on you, right? Well, not did, really. did you, you don't think uh, they did? No, I mean, and, 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 and some didn't, you know, they said, we don't, we don't care what anyone says. We, we know you're right in what you're saying. And so we're, we're, we're with you, you know, there, there were, there were some really brave people, but not. And were they of, risking their own sort of position within, within the church to do that, to support you publicly, openly? Some, some of them did. Yeah. I mean, and, and some of them didn't support me openly. They did it behind the scenes and said, you're absolutely right. We just don't know what to do. So. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about, does, does it feel different supporting you sort of in the shadows without no, I being out in the it. open about it? No, I understand yeah. it. I mean, it's a, I mean, I, I don't want anyone to have to, or I didn't want anyone to have to risk their whole community. It, it would be like all your friends overnight just turn around and go, no, we're not your friends anymore because you, 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 you said something you believed. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's, that's, uh, I, I wouldn't want anyone to go through that. I had to do that because my conscience was telling me I had to do that. But uh, no, I, I, and I, it's not fair that that happens to somebody else because of my conscience. That doesn't feel fair. I, I, I can do it to myself. I would never expect anyone to. 
It just, if again, I don't, you know, I know a, only a certain amount of what's going on in your head, but it, it feels externally and it, and it outwardly sort of appears that this is very different because yeah. while, while you might be doing, or you might feel like you're doing some of the same things, it feels like the audience that you have, the community that you're building, not only do they respect where you're going, but, but they need to hear what you're saying. We, I'm going to put myself in there. We need to hear what you're saying because it, it, it connects. That's so kind, but I, I, I'll, I'll, let me be as honest as I can. Like the, the, the thing is, is we, we all overthink how, I mean, this is again, let me say me. Cause I, I mean, you know, not you, Jeffrey, but like all of us, the rest of us. We <laughs> I don't really, ever overthink really anything. overthink stuff. I know you've got it all. You know, like, <laughs> this isn't a particular problem, but like we all overthink stuff. And I think like, like, I think from the outside, you might look and go, oh, well, you know, he's got lots of people who are interested in what he's talking about. He's got a quote unquote successful YouTube channel. That The fact is that less than 10% of my subscribers still watch my videos. That's the truth. Mm. That's that's the, the actual fact on paper. And I'm doing more and more of what I believe I need to do. Um, and I can't ignore signals like, well, 90% of the people who, who, who used to be interested in what you did aren't anymore because of the direction you're going. It's not going to change my mind because I believe okay, this is what, there's no but, danger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even 10% could fill Wembley. That's a lot of people who are, who are connecting with you. Yes, but, but, but there's, a, there's a statistical signal, you know what I mean? And it's, you can't ignore that. In which case, and I, I've always said, and I still believe, like, I just want that, that core group of people who I can talk about the stuff I really care about. And I still buy that 100%. And I'm in no danger of wavering from that. But I'm, I think I'm trying to say where the doubt comes in is, I, I, have I got a blind spot that I can't see mm. that other people can see? Because imagine, imagine if you lost 90% of your process-driven audience overnight. Or, or not overnight, over a year, because you started yeah. to change your show. There's no way that you're not going to question yourself. We, we all claim we don't care what people think. And I think, I think, I think you and I are, are, are solid enough on what we want to do that we, we're not going to be swayed. But there's no way that we don't question it when there's a big shift. Right. You know? And keep chasing it to be better. That's the other, that's the other side of that. Even, even if it's good, even when it's good, it's, it's hard to rest on that and go, yeah, this is good enough. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really having to learn and have been for years good enough, yeah. you know, that it is, is the return. If I sit and edit this thing and make little envelope tweaks on this waveform for the next six hours, <laughs> is anybody going to feel any differently about it Yeah, other than me? Is anybody even going to notice it other than me? No, but sometimes I do it. Sometimes I have to do it. And I don't, that, that's the, the, the sort of that perfection loop, you know, but it, it's a fairy tale. It isn't real. You know what it does do actually with the whole perfection thing is if, if I'm going to do something, I mean, I'm not claiming I'm doing anything outside the box. I'm really not. I mean, I'm not, I'm not breaking the format or anything but if i'm going to be a little bit brave with what i'm doing then it does drive me to do the very best job i can in a good way because it says mm -hmm. it, it tells me that like if i'm going to get rejected for something i'm doing that's brave i'm going to get rejected 
and I'm going to make sure I did the best job. So it's exactly what I wanted to say or exactly yeah. what I wanted to do the way I wanted to do it. So at least I wasn't rejected because I was confusing or, or muddled or it wasn't clear what I was up to. I want it right. to be clear, clear, clear. And then here, like, nah, it's not for us. That, 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 right, 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 right. That get, it, it's a different kind of responsibility around what I make. Yeah. I think that I feel in those cases is like, if I'm going to be brave, I better be clear about it. Right. Um, well, and, and nor did you allow yourself to, to make compromises that were suggested externally. Like we want this, what, what would you think about this book being this? Or what would you think about including this? You know, you, you, you were very clear. <laughs> I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say. I'm going to, I can't <laughs> okay, I'm not gonna Let's say. make a how-to book. What do you think about that? Let's. Um, we really think you know, it should be 10 bullet points at the end of every chapter. That's right. <laughs> what about the meaning in the making journal? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, no. And the board game. Let's see. Um, you know, it, you you really stuck to it and and said, "Look, if if I'm gonna if I'm gonna swim, I'm gonna swim on my terms. If I'm going to sink, I'm going to sink on my terms." Yeah. You know, and and if I'm wrong, okay, then we'll make it up on the next one, and maybe we'll make con some concessions or or some different choices next time. But for now, this has to be me. This has to be the best I can do for me. Take it or leave it. Yeah. And I, I, I worry, like, that there's the blind side thing again, because I worry that if I'm saying that, I know that there, there are artists out there who just do that out of bad ego stuff, you know, like, well, screw you, I'm just doing my thing, take it or leave it kind of thing. But, right. but there is a good side of it. And uh, I talk about it a little bit in the book, like that, that the, the example I use in the book is, is Ricky Gervais at the Golden Globes. Mm -hmm. um, the first time he <laughs> right. did that in 2010, I think it was. Like there was outcry, like how could Ricky Gervais like take pot shots at, at Hollywood's royalty, you know? And, and he was, there was an interview with him on CNN with Piers Morgan um, when Piers was doing whatever he was doing there. And, right. uh, and he, he, he kind of starts out the interview sort of tongue in cheek, trying to get Ricky Gervais to apologize for what he's done. You know, America's very cross with you. Don't you think you owe them an apology for all the people that you offended, blah, blah, blah. And he wouldn't apologize. But at no point when I was listening to Ricky did I think, like, he's just an egomaniac. In fact, he was really humble about the way that he did it. He just said, like, if, like I planned every single word I was going to say. It, uh, nothing came out that was a mistake. That's exactly what I wanted to say. Every joke that I said that night that took pot shots of people in the room not only did I definitely want to say that joke, I wanted to say it using exactly those words in exactly that sequence. I stand by everything that I said because I'm a comedian and that's what I wanted to do. If you don't like right. it, I understand that. And, and the point he makes was just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. He says some, some people are offended at mixed race marriages. They're not right, but they're offended by it. Offense doesn't mm -hmm. mean you're right. That's what I wanted to do. You don't have to like it. You could say it's not for me, but I stand by what I do. And that kind of healthy, like I'm going to back myself in what I'm making is, is really attractive to me. I just have to be hard on myself constantly about where's that coming from? Is it a like, well, screw the world. I don't care. I'm just doing my own thing. Or is it like, no, no, no. I've thought this through and I, I, I calculated that some will like it and some won't, but this is exactly what I want to do this way. Subscribe to Jeffrey Sedora's Everything in your favorite podcast app to get Deep Natter, along with Process Driven, and everything else I release, all in one feed. 
If you're enjoying the show, we would love it if you would consider leaving a review or a rating wherever you listen and sharing it on social media to help others find the show. And as a reminder, you can listen live and be a part of the conversations on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on Clubhouse. Connect with Sean on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Tuck. That's S-E-A-N-T-U-C-K. On his website at seantucker.photography or by searching for Sean Tucker on YouTube. You can pre-order his book, The Meaning and the Making, which comes out on August 10th, wherever you buy books. Connect with me on Twitter and Instagram, at Jeffrey Sadoris. That's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S, or on my website at jeffreysadoris.com. As always, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for being here. We appreciate you spending some time with us, and we hope you'll come back for the next one. <laughs>